Hi folks, this is Jacob Grace with Grassland 2.0. This is another episode of Stories on Pasture, stories from the grazing community about their experiences getting started and going forward. Today we'll be hearing from Marie Raboyne, a conservation specialist for Dane County, Wisconsin. We'll hear about Marie's work with a new farmer network called the BFFs, Biological Farming Friends. We'll hear why she's big on farmer dates and why maybe you shouldn't invite everyone to the meeting. Here's Marie Raboyne talking with me in August of 2021. Uh, Hi, my name is Marie Raboyne. I work for Dane County Land Conservation as a conservation specialist. My focus in the county leans towards rotational or managed grazing. And then also um, I have a pretty strong focus on cover crops in the county and and trying to find different ways of using cover crops, getting them established on different crop and livestock farms. The first question is always going to be kind of like what kind of programs are out there, right? And a lot of times my main first job is going to be to either steer someone towards a certain program that seems like a really good fit or steer them away from other programs that are definitely not a good fit. And it's really important to kind of sit down with someone, understand their goals, um, really, you know, are they looking for technical help? Like, hey, I've got all these questions or is it infrastructure they're really looking for? Um, Or is it really more of a community that they're looking for? And sometimes, usually I start with the community part of it. It's like, oh, you're interested in this and this. You know, I'd love to take you out to this farm or have you been on any pasture walks or have you, you know, hooked up with prairie enthusiasts or nature conservancy or all these different groups that are already out there so that they can get a real feel for like, what do they really want to do? And then we go into kind of what programs would be a good fit. So I'd say first people are always asking about programs. And by programs, you mean money? I do mean money. Yes. Yes. Sorry. Programs like cost share programs or yeah, some sort of financial assistance. And this is for grazing specifically or? Kind of across the board, both. I mean, cover crops for sure. I mean, I really do think the first, you kind of do have to pay people to do a few things first. And then once they get into a rhythm and they understand it better, they can they can kind of go off on their own and understand the financial uh, benefits, hopefully later down the road. But yeah, for grazing, it's often infrastructure like, hey, I need some fence or my water system isn't working, um, or I'm thinking about getting livestock, you know, hopefully um, someone thinking about it asks questions first and buys livestock, not off Craigslist second. Yeah, so first I always, I mean, I have to know at what scale we're working because it really does, it's going to direct kind of, um, you know, what's available and then also where they're located, unfortunately, or fortunately in this county, we work very much based in watersheds and depending on the watershed you're in can really um, affect what kind of programs are available to you. But then also, you know, we go back to the community part of it. I'm not, I'm not as, I won't take someone from a driftless hilly farm over to Stoughton to look at a at a grazing system, unless I can really make some connections there. I mean, landscape in this county really does drastically change. And so you do kind of have to like, you don't want to set someone up to think that they can do something one way when their farm is set up in a way that that it just can't be done. 
what are some of the things that people want to do that you have to kind of talk them down from? I think, and I'm a great example of this. So this is like, do what I say, not what I do kind of thing. Um, people, I do, I, I call myself kind of like a, a, a dream. What am I like a dream, 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 dream crusher. I'm like a dream crusher sometimes. And, and I, and I do it with like the best intentions because I've seen, you know, after over 15 years doing all this, I've just seen how things go when you have Noah's Ark on your farm. Like it's really hard to, and I say that, and I have two pigs and 12 sheep right now. So I'm like, but I had the infrastructure for it. So I'm not, I, I feel okay about that. I'm not going, but my point is like you, when you have different livestock types, even if they're all ruminants, they all need different animal handling. They need different care, you know, different, you know, if you're going to have sheep, you have to be able to shear them and trim hooves, which is different if, than if you have pigs and different than if you have cows. And so um, I really just encourage people to spend time with like, one or two things and not not become Noah's Ark if they can help it. Yeah, people don't come in my door and say, I'd really like to find my community here. But uh, once they kind of get into the, some of those communities and they realize that, oh, a mile down the road is someone that I should really know, whether this is like vegetable farming, livestock, um, row crops, all of them, I feel like I've seen more benefits from farmer to farmer interactions than anything I can ever do. You know, everyone always wants to know what they should plant, right? That's like, talk about number one question. Hey, what should I plant? And then I always joke and I say, you tell me what the weather's gonna be and I'll tell you what to plant. I mean, that's like, duh, I'm always like, you know, throwing stuff back at people. But it's mostly that I want, you know, folks to understand that like, yeah, I can tell you plant this, but if we don't get rain or we get too much rain or, the planter's not set up right, or your weed pressure. I mean, there's all these other factors. You know, it's kind of with cover crops, it's the worst because people, they plant a cover crop and let's say it works, but then something bad happens to their crop the following year, they wanna blame the cover crop. They plant a cover crop and it doesn't work and then they're throwing their hands up in the air and saying cover crops don't establish. I'm like, well, you didn't establish it right. You know, I mean, there's like, I think there's, um, People just want a very simple answer, and of course there never is. And I'm I'm a firm believer with farmers especially, like if you really want something to work, chances are you're gonna get it to work. There is like something to be said about mind over matter with this stuff. Part of it is that maybe you have friends you can call when something doesn't work out right, or you know a friend who has um, a drill set up appropriate for the seed that you want to plant, which maybe your corn planter isn't appropriate for the seed you want to plant. Um, things like that. I just feel like um, if you put the effort in to make something work, you know, I'd say eight out of 10 times it's going to work. And then the two times it doesn't, as long as that person can sit back and say, well, why? You know, and then adjust. But where I struggle is when something doesn't work, which it often, you know, things don't work sometimes, is the throwing up of the hands and walking away and saying cover crops don't work or something like that. Um, it's more about people being resilient and like figuring out why something doesn't work and not blaming the cover crop. Like people need to kind of blame themselves a little bit more for failures yeah. in general, actually. Great. That's great. like a great life lesson right there. <laughs>
<laughs> Can you talk a little bit more about this uh, biological farmers of... Oh, the BFFs. BFFs. Yes, biological farming friends or farmer friends. Um, I didn't realize it was BFFs. Yeah, it's BFFs. We did that on purpose. I mean, you got to, the whole acronym thing is real. You got to like come up with your acronym and then figure something else out, right? Um, so yeah, we've got the BFFs. It's a new farmer-led watershed group down in the Southern Yahara. So like the Stoughton, kind of between Stoughton and Oregon and almost if, you know, if we were to cross counties into Evansville type area. Um, What's neat about this group is they really were in existence before they became like an official DATCAP producer-led watershed group. Um, we had been getting together just as a group for a number of years, kind of meeting in, in a shed and talking about cover crops or inviting um, like, you know, a certain seed salesman in who we know is really um, uh, good at, you know, we had like a wheat guy in who was really good at wheat. And I feel like as wheat kind of lost favor, and these guys wanted to bring it back in rotation, we needed to kind of reteach ourselves how to grow wheat again and not just look at it as kind of like a plant it and walk away crop. Um, we want to make money on it so that we can. So I don't know, adding small grains back in. And then of course, most of the folks in the, in the group are, have some livestock at least. We've got several dairy farmers, several beef farmers, um, you know, getting them together to figure out Kind of the managed grazing is really different in that Stoughton area. It's not as slam dunk as if you get over into the Driftless. Because in that area, there isn't, people don't just have pastures like we do in other parts of the state. And so they actually did have to convert, you know, what their neighbors and friends would call good corn ground into, into pasture. And, and so you know, supporting each other in that. And like, I think joking about, you know, whatever neighbor was coming by and then, you know, I mean the fence, right? Even just putting up fence in some of these neighborhoods is like, whoa, did you see the fence that James just put up? Like, that's crazy. Who puts up fence and who grazes this and that? And these guys have a pretty tough, they're all young. They're like sub, for sure sub 40, most of them sub 35. Um, so they're, they're, they've got some tougher skin. They can, they can handle some of the questions and they like to do things on the road just to see what the neighbors are going to say. So they're a really innovative group. Um, they're all friends or, you know, that's the other thing with these groups that I think you can't just like, what I'm learning about these watershed groups or any, any, I mean, any professional groups out there is that you have to be really conscious about who you invite into that room. And I think in the past, we've really shotgun approached some of this stuff in the watersheds where you like send a flyer out to every farmer and then invite them somewhere. But the thing that we have to remember is like community dynamics are king in, in small towns. And so, you know, finding your farmer that maybe is like, he or she is gonna be your entry point into that community and then running things through them and making sure that who you invite isn't gonna, we're not gonna have conflicts in the room because that's gonna shut down the discussion like immediately. If you've got two families in the room that for one reason or another don't get along, all of a sudden that tension builds and then you might as well just call it a day because no one's gonna be able to joke or laugh or talk about their mistakes. Like the whole thing with these is you want to be able to talk about success, of course, but also like, wow, did I screw that one up? And here's why I screwed it up. And here's how I'm going to fix it. If like someone who you compete with for rental ground is in the room, you're not going to talk about 
stuff like that. And so I'm really careful um, now just to like casually, you know, run by names like, oh, so-and-so contacted me. Like, is that cool? <laughs> and just, and if it's not like, that's okay too. And you can still work with that person, but maybe you don't invite them to the meeting and they probably wouldn't come anyway. Right. But it's, it's important to, I think, um, take the time to understand those community dynamics. I'm learning that's important. So I'm really big on farmer dates. I call them farmer dates, but that's really what they are, is like, hey, you know, you wanna set up a watering system, this person just set up a system like this, or even better, this person's been running this system for five years, let's go check it out. Versus me trying to like explain what quick couplers are and all these different things. And I'll like have, you know, an example in my car but it's not the same as just like quick running out to some place for an hour. And the thing with, I think the thing with these more innovative farmers and, and I would say grazers in general, of course, is they're really super um, generous with their time and their knowledge. And I feel like that is, I don't know. I mean, I don't know. Everyone I've always worked with has been super generous. So I think if you encourage people to be generous with their knowledge and their experience, that they're going to be. Um, farmers aren't really in competition with each other because our markets are the way they are. It's not like, um, you know, two restaurants next to each other on the street, like that are actually in head-to-head -head competition. Farmers, like, it's not like they want to see their neighbors fail, right? Because it's not going to necessarily bump their crop price or anything like that. So it's not, I don't, I don't think there's as much head-to-head -head competition. So they, they support one another. I think that's important. 2019 was our first year with the Continuous Cover Program. Um, it's a Dane County exclusive funded program. Um, the intention was to model it somewhat after the Conservation Reserve Program, CRP, through the feds, but it gives us a little bit more flexibility. We were able to design the program ourselves and we could, um, what we ended up doing is they, we asked for a certain pot of grazing money and a certain pot of, anyway, we got a bunch of money, we designed a program, um, and you can either set aside ground into cool season or prairie, very similar to CRP. You get that rental rate every year. Um, we simplified it. It's just a pretty straight rental rate of 150 per acre per year, and it's a 15-year contract. Um, or what was nice is we wrapped our managed grazing program into that as well. So you get the same rental rate, but you are allowed to graze it as long as you're using rotational grazing. It's not a set stock program. We're not paying people to set stock. Um, so it's been super popular, which is great. We're in our third year now administering it in 2021. Um, they keep giving us more money, which is good. It's almost too much. Um, but uh, there's a couple of us in the office working on it. And it's to me, it's an if, if you're going to be in Dane County and you want to do managed grazing, it's I don't know many people who are gonna build fence, set up water systems and invest in livestock if they're not already in it for that long term, right? So yeah, you're signing a 15 year contract, so you have to be in it. Um, but if you've made that decision, you're kind of in it anyway. You drank the Kool-Aid, you're gonna graze animals, you're gonna have permanent pasture. Um, and, if, and if anyone's on the fence about it, I would not encourage them to sign up. You know, I definitely steer people away from it as well if I don't feel like it's a good fit.
I understand I'm in Dane County and we have a tax base in Dane County that is like very different than other counties. Um, however, I think that if they, if other counties, I, I mean, I think we put like, Dane County is also really big. And so a lot of counties are legitimately like half the size of Dane County. So even if another county could put, and I don't, and that's the thing is I don't really know budgets, but depending on how they're spending some of their dollars, if they targeted some of these programs towards areas in the county where like flooding is an issue, I actually think they could make up the program dollars in infrastructure savings. So we always used to talk about it when I was in Iowa County, like if it rains two inches, Blanchardville's underwater. Well, Blanchardville is the bottom of the hill and you just have to look up. And at some point Blanchardville was gonna look up and be like, hey guys, stop sending your water this way. And you know, they're blowing out bridges, they're having to reroute traffic, all that sort of stuff. I feel like the program is good for farmers because it, it pays you that rental, right? It's almost like a payment for ecosystem services. And if you can, if you can avoid other infrastructure costs by seeding certain areas down, I think there's more of a financial incentive for the counties to potentially look at it. But I don't know that other counties are in a position to shotgun it as much as Dane County is. Um, but I do think flood mitigation is real. We can run the numbers on row crops versus permanent vegetation. And then if that permanent vegetation can still stay in agriculture production, meaning through managed grazing, and we can still get all the infiltration benefits and reduce some of that flooding, maybe there's a payout there. I would say that's for, that's for the counties to kind of look at. And, and they know where the roads blow out every year, right? And so maybe, maybe looking at that is one way. What was the main reason that Dane County got into it? You know, the executive Joe Parisi was, um, I think he's a really strong proponent of just different environmental projects in Dane County. I think he's a strong proponent of solar. Um, I think he really appreciates the, the farming legacy in this. I mean, this is a heavy agriculture county. People think of Dane County and they think of Madison, but Dane County is a big, big crop producer um, and livestock producer. And, and so of course, like that's gonna, you know, even though I think oftentimes the executive is kind of voted in by the city because that's where the population is, you know, he understands that there's a rural component. And so um, he got the idea that we should have more permanent vegetation. And we had, as a, as a land conservation department, we had definitely been pushing for some money for managed grazing anyway. And so we kind of just wrapped it all up as, as but it was his, um, it was really his push. Okay. It came from the top. You've been listening to an episode of GrassCast, Stories on Pasture. GrassCast is a project of Grassland 2.0, which believes that caring for the land means caring for ourselves and that perennial farming systems are our best option for doing so. If you want to learn more about Grassland 2.0, you can visit our website, grasslandag.org. Thanks for listening.